All right, well, this is our third lesson on uh, sweet reasonableness. This is very, very critical. This is a message me and Mr. Rick have talked about for years now, and I started doing a lot of research probably two or three years ago, and we've taught this several times. But I think in every arena of life, especially Ministry of Helps, any kind of leadership arena, when you are, are proactive and driven, you cannot forget this ingredient called sweet reasonableness, and we'll explain it more as we go along. Uh, this is what's lacking in America. Uh, you know, the new, the new mantra today is, uh, what are we going to be offended at next? Well, if you have sweet reasonableness working in your life, you don't get offended, period. Uh, who are we, whose head are we going to cut off next, verbally, not, not literally? Uh, well, if you have sweet reasonableness working in your life, you're not going to cut anybody's heads off verbally or f- physically. So we, this is a critical thing, and we've got a lot of scripture to back it up. It's critical we get it working in our church because we are a driven church. We're motivated. We're proactive. We're not a lazy church. We're not a slothful church. And on top of that, we lean very hard into excellence because our region is deficient in it. And sometimes when we get very consumed with excellence, if something less than excellence comes up, we can often pull the sword out and want to go carving on people for not doing things excellent. But sweet reasonableness there once again brings us back in line. So let's jump into our lesson here and see what the Word has to say and and see what uh, we've written. During the course of serving God, serving with and for your fellow Christian, you will encounter many an opportunity to give and receive offense. Jesus Christ said it's impossible, but that offenses will come. So we should expect offenses to come. Expect offenses like you expect weather. But weather doesn't have to slow you down, and neither do offenses. Why can't we be more like the postal service? Nor sleet, nor rain, nor blowing snow. Why can't Christians say, nor offense, nor dirty words, nor name-calling, nor you invading my little private kingdom called self will keep me from serving God? How come the post office has it better than the church? And aren't you glad the post office doesn't take snow days? Right? But we as Christians, we seem to think we have a right to take offense days, and we just skip God or skip church because we had our little personal kingdom invaded. Amen. I can see where this is going already this morning, and I'm trying to dial it back. It's, <laughs> yeah. This opportunity can easily be neutralized through the understanding and use of sweet reasonableness. It won't just work in the ministry of helps. It'll work in your marriage. It'll work towards your children. I think my daughter offended me for the first time this week. She had three nights in a row where she was just rude going to bed. And I, I, I think I got offended. I'm not really quite sure. I mean, it's good. I'm a daddy. But sweet reasonableness helps when you tuck your little girl in at night and she doesn't want to give you a hug or say, I love you. Now, she did because I don't let brats win. Not in my church, not in my home. I don't let my little girl tell me what she wants because I don't care what she wants. She's four. I know what she wants. I know what she needs. So you have to be careful you don't give flesh what it wants. You give the body what it needs and everything else results in discipline. All right. This sweet reasonableness is the Greek word epiakis. Epiakis. I'll try to say that a couple more times throughout the lesson, but you don't need to know how to pronounce it. It just, that's what it is. It is one of the most untranslatable words in the entire Greek language. The most untranslatable. All the lexicons I spent studying said this is the hardest word in the Greek Bible to translate because there's no singular American English word or any other modern language word that, that can explain it in one word. Agape is love, 
right? Pneuma is spirit. It's very simple. You get into some of these other words, uh, krino, judgment. Epiakis, um, give me a thousand colors and I'll paint you a picture of what it is. And that's how this is. It's, and that's how critical uh, this word is. It's so nuanced that we just can't say it's this or that. It's, it's a massive color palette that really defines the presence of God and that aspect of God concerning wrath, anger, judgment, offense, mercy. It really is a very all-inclusive word that helps describe the nature of God and how it should be working in our life. Let us first look at its use in the New Testament. And I'm pulling this out of the English Standard Version here, Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, here it's translated reasonableness, Epiakis. Let your reasonableness, King James says your moderation, be known to everyone. So everyone ought to know us as being reasonable. That's as opposed to, of course, unreasonable. You know, unreasonable people are dictators. Unreasonable people, uh, they, they just ha- ask, they demand things that are unreasonable. Now, that's not to say something should not be demanded of you. Because we know this, we have to balance this teaching with all the other teachings of the word. Sometimes flesh says, that's just so demanding. You mean coming to church three times a week is just unreasonable? Remember, the Lord says, my commandments are not grievous. I think if you were carnal or unrenewed in your mind, you could say, the Lord is not reasonable. Well, the Lord is reasonable. He is the essence of Epiakis. So again, we got to balance the teaching. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that Epiakis is tied to supplication, thanksgiving, peace, guarding your heart and mind. Epiakis is a, is a flavor of the heart that defines how you handle everything. It does not have a black or white answer to anything because it judges everything in the moment based on the Spirit of God. The Bible says judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment, in a sense, winks at one sin and condemns another based on the heart committing it. And we understand that. That's why Epiakis is Jesus looking at the woman caught in the act of adultery and said, where are your accusers? And at the same time, with the same word, he condemned or convicted all the others and they walked away ashamed. Epiakis. Obviously, the one who should have been in trouble was the woman in the act of adultery, but the guys that walked away ashamed were the the self-righteous ones. So this is a very hard word to define. And the more we walk with God, the better we'll be able to walk this thing out. When you're legalistic, it won't make any sense to you. You'll want to take the head off of everything over here or embrace everything over here. And it really requires us to judge things by the nature and the character of God Almighty through the whole scriptures. This verse, this first use of sweet reasonableness in the Bible is in a passage of text concerning the maintenance of internal peace. So that's this context. How do we maintain internal peace? The process is clearly spelled out in these three verses. Rejoice, be reasonable, pray, give thanks, make requests. Short circuit any one of these and peace will be hard to come by. It's a shame to say it, but some Christians have been born again 5, 10, 15 years and they don't know how to maintain peace in their life. But let's, let's look at this process of peace. Rejoice is the first step in maintaining peace. Be reasonable. 
Some people are just addicted to strife and confrontation. Epiakis is not looking for confrontation. It's not afraid of it, but it's not going around looking to pick a fight. It's looking to resolve things through mercy. Uh, as the Bible says, mercy rejoices against judgment. In America, uh, Americans are addicted to agitation. Americans are addicted to offense. They both love to get it offended and they love to give it. Just look on social media. It's nothing but a bunch of middle school name calling and arguing and bickering. And then you have the meme wars. And this, this side picks a meme that's witty and then the other side picks a meme that's witty. And it's nothing but a bunch of bickering. There's no peace there. One of the greatest things I've done for the next, I guess I have seven months left, I'm fasting news on my phone. I have such a positive, encouraging outlook on life because I'm staying away from the strife and the lies of both sides of the media aisle. Because uh, even the right side and the conservative side is biased, propagandized, and agendized. And you can't believe half of what they say either. So you just dry that junk up, spend some time praying in tongues and in the Word, get what you need to off of a headline and go with God, and you feel a lot more encouraging. You know, reading too much news and media, Dr. Barclay calls it listening to the prophets of the Lamb, it's like putting ethanol in your gas tank. It will affect your car. Now, if you drive a GM, it doesn't matter what you put in there. It's not going anywhere fast anyway. <laughs> but just by feeding on the prophets of the land, it will affect you. So we're not as against total news. You've got to stay informed. But you know how it is. We can get addicted to this agitation. Uh, I was just talking with somebody, a missionary. They said, you know what? They said, I spend five minutes on the phone with family back stateside, and in the next 45 minutes is complaining about this condition of America. Well, you're missionaries. Aren't, shouldn't you be talking about the gospel? Shouldn't you be talking about what the, what the Lord's doing in the world and not what pagan politicians are doing? So we have to be careful. The point is, uh, some folks are addicted to strife. When you're unreasonable, everything's a fight. And now when I go about day-to-day -day business and I deal with people on the phone or deal with people in businesses, you can tell they are trained to have to really calm people down. And I, I, I'm almost embarrassed that folks seem so apologetic when something doesn't go right in the business because they're apologizing to me. And I always tell them, it's okay. This is business. It happens. And you can tell they're just so gun-shy to belligerent, unreasonable, pe uh, unreasonable people. And that shouldn't be us. We ought to be able to extend mercy to people when they're having a bad day or somebody else in their chain of business failed them and not take it out on them. Amen. All right. Pray. Hey, there's key to keeping peace. Give thanks. Instead of complaining about what you don't have, give thanks for what you do have. Then you can make your request. Too much of the time we make requests when we're hostile, hot, and bothered. And then you often ask for the wrong thing. And like, like the disciples, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? And the Lord says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. You don't even know the attitude you're walking in. When you calm down, you can ask for the right thing. The best definition possible. Let's move on and try to define this word epiakis because it is complicated. Often to understand a new word, one must use many words to paint the picture. And sweet reasonableness requires such a painting. The Greek idea of epiakis includes the following. Here's what it is. The Hebrew equivalent is used of God as being good and forgiving and not exacting the punishment deserved to those called upon his name. So there's this element of mercy. I have a right to wipe you out, but I won't. <laughs> I have a, a right to send a bunch of she-bears into your home, but I won't. 
I have a right to call 10,000 legions of angels to wipe you out, but I won't. That's part of Epiakis. That doesn't mean it doesn't ever judge. It just looks for an excuse to have mercy. Next point, the spirit that, this is the spirit or the attitude that enables a man to bear injuries with patience. I wish America would get a hold of this. I wish Christians would get a hold of this. The attitude that enables a person to bear injuries with patience and not demand all that is rightly his due for the sake of peace. This is what Ephesians 4 teaches. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. That means as a mature Christian, you're looking to fall on the sword. Your sword. You fall on it so it doesn't have to be impaled upon a brother in Christ. Epiakis demands that we look to make peace. Even if you're not wrong, you're probably a little wrong. Bank on the 1% or 2% that you are wrong and go bury the hatchet. No, these are all military terms. Fall on the sword, bury the hatchet. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wyatt Earp's guns were called the peacemakers. It was a cult peacemaker because his result was just shoot all the bad guys and you'll have peace. You can't do that today. It was wonderful, I'm sure, 150 years ago, but you can't do that today. We still think we can. Most of our strife comes about from a misunderstanding anyway. And if you didn't know this, your life is much better when you have more friends than enemies. Just think, your scales of life. If you've got more enemies in life than you do friends, life stinks. You have to tuck your head at Hobby Lobby, Walmart, and Kroger. You got to skip church until everything's died down and it was a storm you stirred up. And most of the enemies we have, we have because we made them. They didn't want to be enemies. They're smarter than that. The Bible says, if at all possible, live peaceably with all men. So we ought to be aiming for peace with all men. Now, the Bible does say, if at all possible, there's always going to be the one or two ding-dongs that you can't live peaceably with. May you not be that ding-dong. But everybody else, we ought to be able to have peace with 95, 98% of the people in our life if we would walk in sweet reasonableness and be willing to humble ourselves and go and apologize and fall on the sword even if, if we didn't do anything wrong. But for the sake of peace, be the bigger man or woman. Be the one that the greater one's supposed to live in. Remember that prince of peace that can hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're clueless. Pastor Vaughn used to teach, how can you get mad at a backslidden Christian? They're just dumb. They've lost their mind. If they were in their right mind serving God, they would have never treated you that way anyway. So just treat them as mentally handicapped and spiritually retarded. And it makes it a lot easier to say, they are just having a bad day, half demonized today. Father, bless them, help them. Rather than going home and saying, I hate them. I can't believe God loves them. And it's, it's just not fair. It's just... Are we, uh, wait, is this middle school again? I didn't think so. Hope it's not. Next point. This is gentle tolerance of others in spite of having a justification for intolerance. You're justified to be mad. You're justified to walk away. Yet you allow the greater one on the inside of you, the love of God, to make room for them. And all we have to do is stop and think, how many times did somebody look past our goofiness and accept us into their ranks or to their dinner table, and it made all the difference in our life. The biggest rebuke the Lord has ever given me is when he said, I didn't like Dr. Barclay, my pastor, 
because I didn't think he was enough like me to suit me. Selfish, immature Christians seek to only run with people just like them. And that becomes a very narrow world. Because if everybody in the world was like you, it'd be a miserable world. Amen. So the Lord puts a lot of different flavors out there so we can balance each other and polish each other and sharpen each other. And you can't be afraid to get around people that are different than you because it'll give you things you need. That's like only eating meat the rest of your life. That will kill you. Or eating carrots the rest of your life and only carrots. That'll make you orange and weird and dead. Or only eating Flintstone vitamins the rest of your life. Your pee will smell funny. It'll be look, look like lemonade or orange juice and you'll die. And if all you ever hang out is people like you and won't tolerate anybody else, I'm not talking about tolerating sin, but you understand. But you won't ever get around anybody else, even the ones that ruffle your feathers a little bit. You'll, you'll go to heaven a shallow Christian. And when you get to heaven, the Lord will make you sit by all those people. <laughs> Who, your name tag at the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be around all those people who you didn't like on earth, just so the Lord can remind you, hey, I'm in charge here. And then the Bible says he'll wipe away every tear. Their tears having to sit by you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> Next point. In Acts 24, it's used of clemency, mercy, and leniency in a judgment decision. Clemency. They deserve the death penalty, but something in them says hope. And so you pardon them and give them leniency. Next point. This is the power of yielding. This will help your marriage. You don't always have to be right in your marriage. Part of sometimes being a successful spouse is saying I was wrong. So, okay, so you're right. So you win the war and you go to bed mad at each other. Boy, both people won, didn't they? How about both people say we're wrong and you go to bed winners? This is epiakis, sweet reasonableness. We ought to look to see where we're wrong in situations and relationships rather than always pointing out where other people are wrong where, where did you maybe miscommunicate where where were you maybe misunderstood where maybe could you have communicated better where did you take an attitude instead of saying well there's a there's a bit of an expression that says when you fortify your position you have no position in christ you shouldn't have to fortify your position just be jesus never defended himself he said if i defend myself my defense is nothing it is my father that defends me, in a sense. We want to make sure that we have the ability to yield. This is the ability to give way to the wishes of others. Now, when you're in love with that girl or boy, you'll, you'll spend 30 minutes saying, no, you pick where to go to dinner. No, you pick where to go to dinner. No, you pick where you go. To, no, you tell me what you want. We'll go see what movie you want. No, you, you get to pick. That's when you're in love. And then you get married Woman, steak and action. Machine guns and blowing stuff up. No, I want the Cheesecake Factory and a good rom-com. Woman. Oh, man. Let's see, there's no, where's the sweet reasonableness there? <laughs> and then Hollywood said, Cheesecake Factory will serve meat and we'll put action in the rom-coms and everybody will be happy. Hollywood had to help our marriages, as did the restaurant business. <laughs> It's the ability to give way to the wishes of others. See, it's the opposite of selfishness. This is the poise of soul which enables one to sacrifice their own rights, not by necessity, 
but out of generosity and sympathy. It's not because you have to and it's being taken from you, but you, you sacrifice your own rights out of generosity and sympathy. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And again, we're still defining this word sweet reasonableness. Not because you have to, not because you're being forced to, but out of sympathy and generosity, you say, I have no rights. What, what, can, we, what can I do to help you? Now, let me pause here and give the balance. This is not saying you're in a position of authority and you're letting people abuse you or abuse your leadership. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how we deal with each other on a peer-to-peer level. Otherwise, you, can, you could mishandle this teaching and say, well, you see that boss or you see that husband, you, you should be able to just undo all the responsibility God's given you. That's not what we're talking about, and hopefully you understand that. This doesn't mean you don't discipline your children. This doesn't mean you don't discipline your employees or your students. We're talking about in our relationship with one another, because that's what the verse says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. If you're a boss, you've got to be a boss, otherwise the Lord's going to judge you. Even the Lord says, I'm a shrewd and austere master. You knew that. In that regard, he was not being sweetly reasonable in that, that season because judgment was being demanded. So hopefully you can see that. Uh, the other definition is generosity. Goodwill toward others. We generally believe the best of people even though we don't know them. It's very easy for us to get into our vain imaginations and begin to believe the worst. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, love in the Amplified says, love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. We are so undisciplined in our mind in this day and age. If someone doesn't reply to our text, we instantly begin to daydream the worst scenario. They're mad at me. They're angry at me. What did they hear about me? What did I say that maybe offended them? You ever thought maybe their phone's dead? You ever thought maybe it never went through? Did you ever think maybe they left their phone at home? Did you ever think maybe it's 10.30 at night and they're in bed? Did you ever maybe consider the fact that they work for a living and their boss won't let them have access to their cell phone? How can we automatically begin to make them our enemy over something like a missed text or an unreplied Facebook post? That's an immature mind, and Epiakis will not tolerate that. Epiaki says, no, let me think. You know, uh, they probably, maybe they're using the bathroom, maybe they're on the job, maybe their phone's dead, maybe their phone's turned off, maybe, maybe their phone, they've lost their phone, maybe, 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 maybe. Why do we automatically default to enemy? Because of the sin nature and, and fiery darts from the enemy. So it's, it, it's an instant goodwill towards others. I'm going to give goodwill towards you until you prove me you don't want it. And then I'm going to store it up and look to give it to you at another time anyway to win you back to me. We are often way too eager to make enemies and not friends. What you ought to do is find the biggest jerk in your life and see what you can do to win them. It's a fun project because the Lord will give you favor in that. Find the biggest jerk and win them. I, we, Friday, we were, me and uh, Mr. Allen were having lunch here in the old part of town. So we were walking around. I was needing to do some errands. I said, come walk with me. So we walked around town, and I was looking for some stuff. And so I was stopping in some of the stores. And um, I stopped in one store, and we were talking with this lady. And uh, she got to talking about the church down here on the corner. I said, really? She said, yeah, people ask me about that church all the time. I said, oh, well, what kind of questions do they ask about that church down there on the corner? She said, well, they're asking, you know, what kind of denomination is it? Is it even a church? Do they have ordained ministers? Do they ordain women? And I said, oh, 
I said, well, what do you tell them? I'm setting her up. She says, I tell them, I don't know. I don't know anything about that church. I just know there's a church down there. And I said, well, ma'am, you're talking to the pastor of that church. And I said to myself, I need to win this lady to my cause. I'm going to bring her some Christmas stuff because she's a good advertisement for me. And that's what I'm going to do. She's not hostile to me, but I'm going to make a friend out of her. And she, boy, then we got to be talk, talking and chatting, got to be buddies, and she chatted our ear off for 15, 20 minutes. And, and so uh, I said, yeah, why, why would I be offended when I can make a friend? You got two choices, be offended or make a friend. And life is easier when you're surrounded with friends. When everybody's for you, you can stop being against you. And maybe that's why we're so easily offended. We're really against ourselves. The love of God requires us to be ever ready to believe the best of every person. And I can speak from experience. I have made many enemies as a pastor through my own haste, through my own super willingness to swing the sword out of just misguided zeal. And I've had to go back and win them back to my cause. And it can be done even when you make the mess. I didn't make the mess wanting to be an enemy. I made the mess because I thought they were coming against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Misunderstanding. Sweet reasonless would have said, you know... I might be partially to blame here, or maybe something was just miscommunicated along the way. Amen. Goodwill towards others, friendliness and big-heartedness. Everybody likes a friendly, big-hearted person, right? That's the best person in town. They got a big heart. And trust me, when you live in a little town like Cookville, you don't want enemies because this town gossips and slanders. And then they invented Facebook, and it went into overdrive. And then topics.com came up, and then it went into hyperdrive. So you want to make as many friends, even Jesus Christ said, make with yourself friends of mammon. Make friends with the world system around you. Don't, don't worship it, but make friends of yourself mammon so you can rule in this world. Amen. Mercy toward the failure of others. How many mistakes have you made? So why not extend mercy towards each other? Amen. Agape towards the faults of others. That's the love of God. We're still defining this word sweet reasonableness. Again, it's very difficult to explain. Mercy, 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 mercy. Mercy doesn't bring up past failures all the time. Mercy is very quick to say, you know what? I've made those same mistakes and I can totally understand it. I, in the pulpit, I'm a hard preacher, but I pick up a lot of messes in private and I think people come in fear and trembling, which is a good way to come if you're cleaning up a mess and repenting. But we usually give nothing but mercy uh, and, and, and forgiveness and love. You did what? Well, that was pretty dumb. Yes, pastor, it was. All right, well, let's fix it. You're not mad? It's done. What's there to be mad at? Is your mistakes hurting you, not hurting me? Let's pray. Let's get this thing fixed. Why can't we be that way towards one another? Except for that uh, we're offended. Dr. Barclay says offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. And pride is sin. So when you get offended, you're sinning in two counts. You got pride, which is sin, and then you're screaming that you've got pride and you want to stand to defend it. Dr. Barclay says offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. If you weren't in pride, if you weren't arrogant, you could not be humiliated and you could not be offended. Psalm 119. 165, pastor's favorite verse. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. 
When you love the word of God, it becomes your foundation and you can't be offended. One, one billboard or one common Christian cliche says it's hard to fall off your knees. Right? You just stay real low to the ground before God. You can't be knocked over. Amen. And even if you do, you just roll over on your back and you say, Lord, help me. <laughs> Leniency. Again, this is not applicable to leadership positions because if we're always calling for leniency, nothing would get done. So understand, this is peer-to-peer. This is on the same level and, and those that you don't have authority over or around you. Authority is another set of teaching because you have to be able to execute judgment. You have to be able to discipline, correct, exhort, rebuke, etc. This is just in our day-to-day life, in our dealings with relationships, family, friends, co-workers, how we view our boss, how we view co-workers who might be under us, but leniency. And then ultimately, this last point is contentment. If you're content, nothing's going to move you. You're not going to get into lust. You're not going to get into pride. You're just content. You're just joyful where you are on the way to where you're going. What Epiakis is not, it's not hasty in retaliation. It just, it, it stops and it prays. It's not hasty. It's not contentious. Again, so many folks are addicted to contention and strife. That's what sells in the media. Blood in the water sells lots of press. They make it up sometimes. Because it just, it just the flesh and this in nature, this world nature is coming to an end and it loves agitation. But sweet reasonableness is not contentious. Blessed are the peacemakers. I've, I've, I have a lot of business dealings in town, both as a pastor and a homeowner. And I've got one, one individual who I've done a lot of business with. And they have just royally failed so many th- things for me. And I get so mad because I think I've given you so much money for your business. And you always come up way short on my end. And it irritates me. And every time I see him in public, I want to give him a piece of my mind. And he's always so laid back and so happy and so congenial. And he's a Christian, so I can't get too bad mad at him because he knows I'm a pastor. And his, his disposition always dif- diffuses me. And I hate it. He walks away. I think, man, he won me again. He won me over. I like him till I go and see the mess he made. And I think, why do you do that? But he has this sweet reasonableness down. He, he is so just laid back and apologetic and, boy, I'm sorry about that and, and, and boy, we, we need to fix that, don't we? We should have never done it. Yeah, how's the wife and kids, man? Why can't we be that way? It takes two in pride to fight. And I'm going wanting to get something right and I want, it, I want him to see fire in my eyes because I want it fixed. And, and he's just like, puts my little fires out and gives me a big buddy hug and I got suckered again. This is biblical experience. (laughs) It's not rigorous or difficult. We don't have to be difficult. Now again, we're not talking about your boss. Your boss has a right to be difficult because he's under the gun for something and you owe him your soul for 40 hours a week because he pays you for it. It's called indentured servitude or the American dream. Epiakis is not severe. When, when, when judgment is due and you can have the death penalty or you can have a swat on the wrist, it's not looking for the death penalty. It's got to do something, but it's not going to look for the death penalty. It's looking for a reason to have mercy. It's not prideful and stubborn. Sweet reasonableness is not prideful and stubborn. And I'm not going to forgive and I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to hate them and mark them and, and you just, you're never going to make, you can't ever make it right. Most businesses say, what can we do to make this right? 
And the sweetly reasonable person say, look, just can you find out, re, you know, reimburse my money or, or can you replace it? The, the stubborn person says, nothing, you'll hear from my lawyer. Well, they tried to make it right. Why would you attack them? Why would you slander them on Facebook when they tried to make it right? See, we're, we're dealing with an end time attitude that is so dangerous and it's in the church. The biggest gospers in town go to church. And they get their, they have all their predispositions and pre-mental notions of how a church should be. And when they don't get it just right, like mommy, you know, catered them and nursed them, then they go slandering things and take all their toys and they go home. Grow up. This isn't six-year-olds anymore. It's supposed to be mature leaders in the body. It's not thoughtless. Epiakis is always thinking about how to help a situation. And it's not hasty in punishment. It's not looking to cut somebody off. We too often cut people out of our life when, when uh, before long you've cut so many people out of your life you don't have anybody left. I've learned from my pastor, it really challenged me and, and has taught me a lot. As many pastors and preachers as my pastor knows, he knows a lot of heretics and ding-dongs. And it's only been within the last year or two has he begun to talk about cutting some of them off which meant for years he maintained an open line of friendship with them for the sake of love, sweet reasonableness, and maybe even being able to help them. But only when their heresy has gone so far has he begun to say, preaching publicly, I'm beginning to think about ending some friendships for the gospel's sake. Not because he's offended, not because he's had his little personal doctrine stepped on, but because they're hurting the body of Christ. And the scripture says, a heretic after the second and third admonition, reject. And he has to biblically, but not because he wants to. And even if he does it, he's still going to be thinking about them. What can I do to help them? Well, how can I pray for them to get them out of that snare of the enemy? This is sweet reasonableness. We are too often to pull a sword and cut people to pieces, and we turn around and wonder why we have no friends. You are the reason you have no friends. Amen. Proverbs says if you want friends... You must show yourself friendly. You are the only reason you have no friends. Because everybody wants friends, apparently, except for Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Friends make life better. All right, New Testament usage. Now that we have kind of a general first-time demonstration or example of what this word means, let's see how it's used. 1 Timothy 3.3 in the NIV. Don't be given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. So here the opposite of violence is epiakis, gentle, sweet reasonableness, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So notice you see the opposite of violence and quarrelsome is this gentleness, this epiakis. Sweet reasonableness is contrasted with violence and quarrelsomeness. Some people, they're just quarrelsome. You want to know the toughest batch of people on the planet? Nurses. Because when people are sick and crabby, they become even crabbier and more sickly as a human being, and a nurse has to take care of them. And their sputum, and their feces, and their sickness, and their family. And so I'm a hardened person because my mama was a nurse, and she has no tolerance for stupid because she took care of people her whole life, and she still does work as a nurse. Got no sympathy because people are just rude and belligerent. When you go to the hospital, let me give you a tip. Don't be a quarrelsome patient. You want to be the kind of patient that is thankful for every ounce of attention they give you. Because I'll tell you how it works with nurses. If you quarrelsome, they don't want to come check on you. 
And if you die, they won't be sued. The hospital will, so it's no skin off their back. So stop being so quarrelsome. If you be sweet to the lady who takes care of you at the restaurant, she won't put Visine in your tea and give you the runs later. <laughs> or spit on your burger. People get what they deserve. Quarrelsome wins you a lot of favor and a lot of hospitality. It's Titus 3.2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, subject to authority, subject to, oh, excuse me, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, epiakis, showing every consideration for all men. We're seeing this usage and it's beginning to help us, I believe. Here, sweet reasonableness is shown to be synonymous with submission, peaceableness, and consideration, and is the opposite of malignant. You know, malignant means you're just a quarrelsome jerk. To show every consideration to people around you. Uh, one of the definitions of gentleman is, is a gentleman is, so, is someone who makes people comfortable uh, anytime they're in your presence. When you're a gentleman, you make people comfortable in your presence. You don't make them uncomfortable. You accommodate them. You love on them, you greet them. That's what it means to be a gentleman, gentle, a man who is gentle, not a quarrelsome man, not a quarrelsome woman, but a gentlewoman. I don't know, we have a gentlewoman, we call them ladies, I believe. Fewer and fewer ladies in the world today. Fewer and fewer ladies who make people comfortable or accommodate people, so they want to be around you. As a Christian, you're called to make people want to be around you. Jesus Christ made people want to be around him. He took contention with the Pharisees who were religious and were self-righteous. Everybody else wanted to be around him. They flocked to be around him. They wanted to eat with him. And when he ate with the sinners, he never rebuked them. When he ate with the religious folks, they got chewed out every meal. <laughs> yeah. Next verse, James three seventeen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. That's our word we've been studying, epiakis. And easy to be entreated. That means reasonable, easily obeyed, open to reason. So that, that is sweet reasonableness. It is open to reason. As the Lord says, come, let us reason together. It's easy to approach. Unreasonable people are not easily approachable. We've all had bosses that were not easily approachable. We all had professors that were not easily approachable. We need to make sure that we can easily be approached so folks can come and get help from us, that folks want to be around us. Again, if folks don't want to be around you, you're not doing your job as a Christian. What happens if your kids don't want to be around you? What happens if your grandkids don't want to be around you? How will you win people to Jesus if they don't want to be around you because you're unreasonable or you're a recluse and you just withdraw because, well, nobody out there is good enough to be friends with? Does that include you? I'm friends with a lot of people. A lot of people are friends with a lot of people. Sweet reason was can't help but want to be friends everywhere it goes because it can increase its realm of influence. Full of mercy and good fruits, continuing James 3.17, without partiality, without hypocrisy. This again helps us to define this word sweet reasonableness. Uh, again, in these days of lawlessness, Christians and Americans are becoming less and less reasonable. We get offended at the drop of a hat. We take all of our toys. We go home. We harumph and then we slander on Facebook or gossip, or sow discord, or when you walk in sweet reasonableness, there's nothing to share as far as gossip or hurt. When you don't walk in sweet reasonableness, you have to go and share. Let me tell you what they did to me, and then I'm done with Miss Patty. Let me go and tell you what they did to me, to Miss Jennifer. Let me go and tell you what they did to me, Mr. Greg. That's not sweet reasonableness. That's a gossip. 
That's a slanderer. No wonder you don't have any friends. Because you're just belligerent. Santa Claus ought to bring you coal and sticks and rocks. Because that's all you deserve. <laughs> yeah, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. Partiality means you have favorites. I know you got folks you like, but, but sweet reasonless looks to be good to everybody. Not just its favorites. Again, sweet reasonless is shown to be in the same vein as peaceableness, reasonable, and mercy. 1 Peter 2, 18. We're almost done here for Sunday school. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, so that here we have masters who are good. We have masters who do walk in sweet reasonableness. These are good bosses, good employers. We've all worked for good bosses, and then we all work for employers that we wish would die or get fired one. Right? Yeah. For me personally, and I maybe am a different kind of individual, I like the hard bosses because they made something out of me. And I didn't cower from them and I didn't run from them. I, they had some, they were, they were a boss for a reason. They had a leadership quality about them that I needed. So I sought to get around them. To me, sometimes the overly sweet bosses were bad bosses because they just didn't enforce anything. They, they kind of let a lot of stuff go. I'd rather be chewed out and told where I'm wrong so I can do better. Because I work, when I was working in the world, I wanted to be good at what I did. I wasn't looking to just rob a paycheck. I wanted to earn my paycheck. In fact, I got convicted when I spent too much time in the early 2000s on the internet as opposed to doing my work. Because, you know, you just hop on there and you click on the news and then you got to do some emailing and then somebody back in there, there's no YouTube back in those days, so they'd send you a video so you'd have to click on it, open it up, take a time. And then I would get convicted because I knew I wasn't giving my boss a full 40 or 50 hours a week. That was an unjust balance. They thought they were getting 40 hours a week. I was not giving them 40 hours a week. I was still earning the same amount. But nonetheless, the scripture says, submit with all respect to both the good and gentle bosses, but also those who are unreasonable. That's the Greek word scolios, where we get scoliosis, which means unfair, surly, or crooked. Here again, sweet reasonableness is shown to be the opposite of unreasonable, unfair, surliness, and crookedness. If we're going to be Christians walking in sweet reasonableness as the, body, as the Bible commands, we can't be surly, churlish, as uh, uh, Abigail says of her husband Nabal in, in the Old Testament. You know, somebody just a brute beast, just a jerk all the time. You never know when they're going to blow up. They're like old faithful. They just erupt, but you're not sure when, but they're guaranteed to eventually. Everybody has to tiptoe around them. We shouldn't be that way. We should, even when people are wrong, we ought to be able to approach them so they know they're wrong, but they know they're loved and they're here to be helped. On our job, in our home, we're just not looking to defend ourselves. This nation is a nation full of selfish people. We live here, so we're probably part of the problem. And everybody's wrong but us. And we don't look to see people's hearts. Why did they do what they did? Maybe it was a bad day. Maybe they meant to do good. Maybe we just miscommunicated. If you're always looking to cut somebody's heads off, the Bible says it's churlish or surly, rude, crooked, unreasonable. Like there's a Chinese proverb that says, uh, don't use a hatchet to remove a fly from your friend's forehead. That's some people. At least use a fly swatter. At least slap them. You know, I think sweet reasonless would say, "Um, there's something on your face. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, sometimes we're like, 
got it. <laughs> Why do I have any friends? Because you hack them all to death with your mouth. The fruit of sweet reasonableness. It reduces friction between people. When you reduce friction between people, you have more friends. And when you have more friends, you can win more people to Jesus Christ. You can let your light shine. You can be salty. Not sailor salty. Not Navy salty. Not salty language salty, but biblical salty. It is key to fulfilling Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, which says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you're kind of an aggressive American like most of us are, you don't like it when somebody comes to you and says, is there something wrong? I feel like there's something wrong between us because now you got to either fess up or be a liar. But God bless those folks that want to make peace and say, is there a hostility between us? And they seemingly, they seemingly come and do it so easily because they want the fellowship. Your friendship is so needful to them. And sometimes we, are, we, we get to this arrogant point where we say, well, I don't really need you as a friend. But if you say that to every person in your life, you are left abandoned. And then you become a bitter person and you die all alone in a nursing home funded by the government. And who will come and visit you on your deathbed? And who will do your funeral? You'll be buried in a vacant plot in the city. If they even do that when you die in five years or 10 years or 20 years. We need to be able to be reasonable so we can increase our realm of influence. Sweet reasonableness is an aggressive tact. It's not passive. It wants to go and make things right. It is on the, on the aggressive. It's on the offense. Not being offensive, but it goes and seeks out. It doesn't wait for people to come to it. Too many times selfish Christians wait for people to come to them. That's almost like a Venus flytrap. You just wait for them to come to repent to you then... See, I knew they were wrong, and now they've admitted as much. Right, well, if they say, I'm sorry, you're commanded to forgive. Otherwise, you still have ought against them, and the Lord won't forgive you. The Bible says if you know someone has ought against you, you shouldn't even tithe or give offerings, because the Lord won't receive it. That's in the Gospels. Did you know that? All right. All right, if you remember that your brother have ought, hold your offering. First, go and make things right. Then come and bring your offering to the Lord. It contributes, sweet reason was contributes to the peace of a family, the peace of a business, the peace of a ministry, or even a community. There are certain communities in the country, certain cities that are just hostile, 24-7 agitation. You go into those cities, you feel the agitation. Then there's other cities that just walk in peace. The difference is the presence of God there and the willingness of the people there to obey God. And finally, the fruit of uh, sweet reasonless, it overlooks offenses and it extends mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, and mercy rejoices against judgment. It is looking to make as many friends as possible, not, not at the compromising of the gospel, but at the compromising of your own pride and hurt feelings. If you haven't learned by now, everybody in your life is going to offend you at some point, sometimes intentionally, most of the time unintentionally. If you hadn't learned by now, it's going to rain on you in life. You're going to be cold at some point in life. You're going to be hot at some point in life. You're going to be uncomfortable at some point in life. It's just life. Just deal with it. And sweet reasonableness will help you deal with all the social weather in life. The thunderstorms in friendships, the hailstorms in friendships, the snowstorms in friendships, and the, the monsoons in friendships, and the peaceful springtime days that are just beautiful. But every friendship has seasons. So just deal with it. Even those that live in Florida hate the weather from time to time. 
You can't escape weather. We in Tennessee, we hate the weather, but then we say, but you know, I like the four seasons. It's a nice little change. Amen. May the Lord help us to walk in and develop this sweet reasonableness in our life. Amen. Father, we thank you for this Sunday school lesson. Bless all those that have heard this and all those that will listen to it in the future. May people be full of the word of God and do the word of God and sweet reasonableness. Help our life with this in Jesus' name. Amen.